You're listening to Irreverent Bible Talk, a podcast that's not your grandma's Bible study, unless your grandma happens to be really, really cool. Listener discretion is advised if you object to bad words, women preachers, or terrible puns. Welcome back to Irreverent Bible Talk. I'm Jenny, and I'm the woman preacher the intro warned you about. And I'm Josh, and I make the terrible puns. Wait, they're not terrible. Anyway, this episode we're continuing our conversation about the creation stories in Genesis, including one very naughty talking snake. So grab a beer, a mocktail, a cup of coffee, or your beverage of choice, and join us as we explore how the Bible is more complicated and more fascinating than you might expect. So Josh, what beverage are you enjoying today? Well, today, if you'd believe it or not, I'm actually enjoying another wheat beer, but this time it is a 312 from Goose Island. It's a brewery out of Chicago area. I have had some Goose Island before. How about yourself? I am also continuing my trend from our last recording. Uh, I'm drinking an IPA and it's from California. In this case, it is a Stone Brewing Delicious IPA. That's the name of it. It also tastes good, but it's called the Delicious IPA. That's a brilliant name and very descriptive. So I know last time we left a little, I don't even know what the best word is. We were shooting from the hip and we were going way off what we had planned for because that's the beauty of this. Conversation rose up and we had some questions, some frustrations, some complaints, and just some confusion. And uh, I would say we left a lot of meat on the bone when it comes to the first three chapters of Genesis. There's so much here that we could talk about. So we're going to tackle it and cover a little bit more uh, and probably still not say everything that we want to say. No, we'll look back later and obviously be like, wait, no, we wanted to talk about this as we do. That is absolutely very likely. Jenny, I know last time we were talking about, I was kind of going off on a tangent about how one Bible story says man and woman were created at the same time. And then in the second chapter, it says man was created first, found out God realized that, oh, this dude's bored. Let's take his rib. Let's slap it together. And let's, uh, here's a woman. Yeah, she'll serve you. That is certainly one interpretation of that story. Obviously, I'm being really vague and really devil's advocate, really... I don't even know the word. I'm just being curmudgeoned, which is most of my personality anymore. Uh, what you're saying is this is not actually how Josh views the the inherent nature of the genders. No, absolutely not. But I think it's a really good point because that has been the traditional interpretation for a lot of Christian history, uh, that Genesis chapter 2 has been looked to as a justification for patriarchy, that man is primary, that man comes first, that man is um, superior, and then that has been uh, borne out for a lot of societies over a lot of generations. Uh, but as I said a little bit last time, I think that there's, there's a different way of reading that creation story that doesn't necessarily lead to that interpretation. Absolutely. But then we get to chapter three, where... Eve is then coerced, tempted by the snake to eat the fruit from the tree of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And then she gives it to her husband, Adam. And then that kind of just leads to the whole 
Well, look, women are to blame. They obviously tricked Adam. He had no idea, which is pretty contrary to what it says. Right. Adam is this poor, innocent dum-dum who is, uh, is led into sin by his, his wicked spouse. Again, not, not entirely what the text says. And so I think maybe let's dive into that a little bit and uh, look a little more closely at what it does say. So in Genesis chapter 3, uh, we start out with an introduction of a new character, the serpent. And uh, as you mentioned at the top of this episode, uh, the serpent is pretty naughty. Uh, what the serpent is not is the devil. I think that is one of the most common misconceptions about the story of, of the Garden of Eden, that people have an assumption that the snake, the serpent, is actually satan the devil a demon a personification of of evil it doesn't say that what it says is literally the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the lord had made so it's literally just a snake who is very very crafty very wily in a wily coyote kind of way which is very contrary to what a lot of people have been taught a lot of people believe I know I went through preschool through eighth grade to a Christian school, was confirmed, youth group, all that stuff. It always seemed like they hinted at, oh, yeah, yeah, that was that was Satan. That was the devil tempting humanity, breaking humanity into the sinful world. And, you know, there's there are probably a lot of reasons that that interpretation became so common. But I think one of the biggest places, if you want to lay blame for that, uh, would be Paradise Lost. If you ever had to read Paradise Lost in school, it tells the story of Lucifer rebelling against God and being cast out and then coming to the Garden of Eden, taking the form of a snake to tempt uh, Adam and Eve to fall. Milton didn't come up with this idea, but I think his version of it, I mean, it's incredibly well written. Satan in Paradise Lost is far and away the most interesting character. And so that became, I think, just in the popular imagination, uh, the way that people remember the story, even though it's not in the original text. And I know this is the topic for another day, but I think we do need to discuss on this show Satan as a whole, like what, like get down to the verses that specifically mention the devil and just kind of explore that because I think that is a scary and interesting and frustrating topic for a lot of people. For sure. Yeah. Uh, we will put it, we'll put it on the list. We are definitely going to talk about Satan who doesn't show up in the Bible as much as you might expect uh, and doesn't always take the form that you might expect uh, from Paradise Lost and other popular media. So let's go back to our, our friend, the snake, uh, the serpent who is very, very crafty. And what we read in Genesis 3 is that the snake starts out with some questions. The snake asks the woman, what did God say? You shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman responds, well, no, that's not what God said. God said we can eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but not this one, not this one special tree. And if we do, the woman says, we'll die. And the serpent says, you will not die. God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So Eve is persuaded 
uh, by the serpent's argument. And she decides that the tree is good for food and that it will make her wise. And so she takes it and she eats. And as I mentioned briefly last time, it says she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate which pretty strongly implies that Adam has been standing there this whole time. He's not exactly being duped, uh, except insofar as they're both being maybe misled by the serpent. But they're both there, I think both equally culpable in terms of the decision to eat that fruit. And personal opinion, I think Adam's even more to blame at this point because he knew it was wrong. He could have stopped Eve, who was being pressured, being coerced. And he's just like, well, you know what? She did it. I'll do it too. Right. Like, yeah, you didn't, you didn't do the initial action, but you were totally down with it and supportive of it. Yeah. We can imagine God asking Adam, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? And apparently the answer is yes. <laughs> I, I mean, it always comes down to, well, how cool are those friends? Like, are they just some random friends or are they like my <laughs> best friends? Because, yeah, obviously I would. I mean, I jumped yeah. out of a second story window because my friends were doing it and I still hurt from it. But that's a story for <laughs> not this show. Uh, perhaps a great example of uh, the, the wisdom that comes from doing something you're not supposed to do. Yeah, definitely uh, learn through examples, learn through bad decisions and live a better life, which I think for all intents and purposes is kind of the Bible as a whole. Here's these examples of what went wrong. Here's how you prevent it. Go be and better. And I think it's such a great example of just human nature, right? Human nature is the one thing you're told not to do is the one thing you want to do. Yeah. And I know we talked about, I think last time, kid with a button or a piece of candy, like, don't eat that cookie. Well, now I really want that one. Mm -hmm. Like, even if it's a raisin, I will still take it because I was told not to. This was just my rant against raisin cookies. So I apologize for all the raisin lovers, but... We need to stop, uh, really consider putting fruit in cookies. Not the best idea. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to wade into that because uh, that's going to be too contentious. But I will I will pull us back uh, to our Genesis story and uh, and see the kind of compounding problems uh, that Adam and Eve are making for themselves. So after they eat the fruit, they recognize their own nakedness. Uh, which no other animal does, right? No other animal in creation sees their own nakedness as a, a problem. So they make, make themselves some clothes, and then they hide. And I think this has a lot to do with um, the problem at the heart of this story, that they hear that God is coming to walk in the garden, and they hide. And I think they hide because of that kind of guilty conscience, but I think it also really speaks to, you know, this is not, this was not how God intended things to be. Uh, if God is going to walk in the garden, the people should should be there and should be happy to, to see God and, and be in relationship with God. But instead, they're hiding. Yeah, because I think that was the whole point that God would come down and visit and walk with them and talk with them and want to understand and learn more about his creation and because, you know, I do believe God is a curious being. God knows everything. But I think that seeing it and experience it is something that is valuable to them. 
and and remember this this whole thing started out with God making the first person out of clay, like out of earth. Uh, so clearly, God has an appreciation for the physical and the the earthy and the messiness of life. I think the next uh, big mistake or or big problem uh, that Adam and Eve run into in this story is that they immediately start pointing fingers. So God asks, hey, did you eat from that tree? Did you do the thing you weren't supposed to do? And Adam, the man, says, well, Eve made me do it, right? He immediately shifts the blame. And then the God asks the woman, what did you do? And the woman says, the snake made me do it. So they're just, they're immediately pointing fingers. It reads like young kids who get caught breaking the rules and they're immediately saying, it wasn't me, it was somebody else. It was my imaginary friend that broke the lamp. And I think that's really compounding the problems here, that they're hiding from God and they're lying to God. They're not uh, being truthful and they're not taking responsibility. Yeah, especially... Adam in this case, like definitely pointing fingers like she she tricked me. Like, dude, you were there. Like you <laughs> you knew exactly what was happening and you still you still did it and now you're just trying to shift the blame. Absolutely. And I think that's you know, that is a classic point of human nature. What happens when you do something like as a kid? You broke something. What was the first thing you did when you realized your parents were around? Yeah, it's a good question. Like I'm trying to remember. I think there were probably times where I hid or tried to hide the evidence uh and there were other times where i i think i knew i had to fess up for me as a child it was like okay how can i explain this away and i still do it as an adult like i do something wrong at work or i do something uncultured in front of my friends the first thing is like okay how can i explain this away how can i shift it from the topic at hand yeah, we, again, human nature, we want to justify ourselves. We want to make excuses for ourselves. Admitting our own mistakes is sometimes physically painful. It can be so hard to do. And I think that is something that holds true throughout the rest of the, of the Bible and into most teachings, too, is, okay, we did this. We need to face it head on and deal with it and get better from it and learn from it. Right. And then we get the consequences um, that come out of this. Um, and the consequences are to, to all three of these characters, uh, the serpent, the woman, and the man. The serpent, God says, is cursed among all animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Which makes me wonder, like, if the serpent is cursed to travel on its belly, like, did it have legs before? It's not an important question, but it makes you wonder. Kind of does bring up some questions of my own. It's like, wait a minute. Could we talk to animals before this happened? Like, could I look at my dog if we wouldn't have sinned? And he'd be like, hey, what's up? I'm bored or I'm hungry. I think your dog already can tell you that. He's, yeah, he's pretty opinionated. <laughs> if, as Jenny knows from trying to talk to me and him start howling because he wants something attention toys food all the above yeah and so we get uh this this kind of promise from god uh god says i'll put enmity between the serpent and the woman between your offspring and hers he will strike your head and you will strike his heel 
uh, later interpretation connected this um, to Christ. So the serpent becomes linked to Satan, and then Christ, as the son of man, is the one who will crush the serpent. So that's kind of a later interpretation that developed. To the woman, God says, you're going to experience pain in childbirth, which is another like wild hypothetical, right? If this had not happened, would childbirth not have been painful? And uh, God says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you, uh, which obviously feeds into uh, the uh, very, very strong patriarchal kind of interpretation that comes through scripture. Yeah, that just blows my mind. It's really crazy to think about that, like you said, uh, childbirth wouldn't be painful. Now you have to be subservient to your husband. Mm-hmm. It's like, what was the relationship like prior to that? Yeah. I mean, were they equal as they were created? Yeah. And the, the word that's used in the previous chapter in chapter two is uh, that the, the human, the first human needed a partner right, needed an equal, and the, all the other animals uh, couldn't fill that role. It does seem like maybe the original intention was more egalitarian, and that this patriarchal power structure is actually a symptom or a consequence of sin. Going back to something you said just a second ago about how an animal partnership couldn't fill that void. So I guess the question that pops up is, God makes the animals, or man, depending on which chapter you read, and then he gives man this superiority over the animals, and it's their job to subdue animals. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great segue, because uh, I know we wanted to talk about uh, this question of how human beings relate to the rest of the natural world. And again, there's, there's a lot of different interpretations that are built on uh, Genesis, but there may be one interpretation that you've heard like all your life. And then somebody says, well, you could also read it a different way. And then, you know, your brain explodes. So uh, let's, let's explode our brains a little bit. All right. I'm good with that. Let's do it. <laughs> so I, I was just going to say, so for those who don't know, I grew up in the Midwest, my first job was working on a dairy farm. And, you know, that, that seems like a natural order to me. Animals are there. We take care of them until it's time to use the resources that God gave us. But reading these chapters, you could see it a completely different way that we were supposed to work in partnership with them. We're not supposed to eat them or use their materials. It, it kind of goes either any way you want to read it. Yeah, and it's it's interesting too. So I very much did not grow up like connected to um the the food net that we all rely on. You know, I I did not grow up around farming. But my experience has been that that folks who have who have really been involved in like where our food comes from actually have a much more connected and kind of relational understanding of whether you're talking about, you know, growing crops in the earth or whether you're talking about farming uh, animals, there's a much greater, I think, respect for these other living beings uh, than you might have if you uh, grew up sort of divorced from that. And, you know, Josh, you use the example of, of a dairy farm, right? And 
I can certainly understand that, you know, there are people who say, well, that's, you know, you're exploiting these animals. Um, but what I see is you want the cows to be healthy, right? You want the the cow's well-being is in your own best interest um, and that it's more of a kind of caretaking than exploiting them. Absolutely. You know, just we'll stick with this cow example. Cows don't do well in this kind of number in the wild. That's, you know, that leads to a lot of predators. It leads to a lot of health issues. And for those that don't realize it, cows aren't the best mothers. And that's just, it's one of those things that these farmers realize and they take care of their offspring. They take care of the animal until it's time to, you know, process the animal for its final adventure. And I think that's obviously that's the kind of road that I have been brought up on. That's the road I support, but I can definitely understand the people, like we said earlier, the people that don't want to do that, the people that want to treat animals more like a partnership as a creation. And I think that's something that we need to maybe kind of focus or look at how we treat our animal companions and how we treat the world that we were supposed to fill and subdue. Yeah. And those verbs, I think, are so important, right? To like fill the earth and to subdue it. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Does that mean that we are supposed to grow crops everywhere? We are supposed to have tons of offspring and just keep populating and growing. But as we know now, like if you continue to populate, you get to levels where there's starvation. You get to levels where you can't take care of everyone. So what are we to do? Yeah. So I actually just got back from a, a conference where we were talking about um, care for the environment and um, issues about climate change and food equity. And I mean, like these things get so complicated so quickly but I think they're also super important. And I think these passages in Genesis really uh, drive a lot of that home that you can read Genesis, you know, Genesis 1, where it says, you know, have dominion over all these other things and uh, to fill the earth and subdue it, like you said, and say, well, the, the point of that is that the rest of creation doesn't matter as much, right? That human beings get to be on top. And we don't necessarily have to care about the rest of the created order. But I think that that attitude has really led us to, to where we are today in terms of like the, the climate catastrophe, that we have been very um, disrespectful and, and been bad caretakers of the, the natural world. And there are consequences to that. We're definitely seeing it. Some of the South is being hit with not just like, oh, this is a once thing, like they're just being hit with horrible winter storms and people aren't prepared for it because we've never had this happen before that we can date back to. Yep. And and out here in California, you know, it's drought and wildfires and, you know, the the Central Valley of California, there's a huge amount of agriculture there and all the water is drying up. There's just not enough of it uh, to go around. So, you know, it, it raises, I think, some really important questions, especially for people of faith. I don't mean only Christians by that, but, but people of, of a multitude of faiths, you know, when we ask ourselves, what is the kind of moral or ethical obligation that we have, you know, are we going to say it doesn't matter 
if there are people starving in other places. It doesn't matter if farm workers are being exploited. As long as, you know, we get our cheap groceries in the grocery store, we don't care about these other impacts. And I, I can't imagine that there are there are many people out there who would say, yeah, that seems like a, a perfectly moral and, and upstanding attitude to have. But on top of that, we as a society, we as humans, we know this isn't the way to proceed. We know this isn't right. But then it just kind of slips away from your memory. Like, I need to buy eggs. I need eggs to make things. You're not thinking about what happened to get all these eggs here or what happened to get these vegetables to the market. We forget, I think. Yeah. Reminders aren't there necessarily that we can tell ourselves. Or it can feel really overwhelming. Josh, have you watched the show The Good Place? Have we talked about this? I've seen a few episodes. I haven't gotten okay. as far as I want to, need to, but I do love Kristen Bell. She's an amazing actress and obviously Delightful. Ted, Ted Danson. <laughs> um well, and, and this will be a this is a no spoiler reference to The Good Place, but they have a conversation at one point about the like ethical consequences of buying a single tomato and the like ripple effect of like you just think you're buying a tomato, but it has all of this um, stuff behind it about climate and land and labor and food access. And and I think it can start to feel really overwhelming. I also think that we could probably talk about this for like an hour, which is probably not the best idea, but I want to just kind of give a shout out if this is something that listeners are really passionate about. I encourage you to look up. This is actually the, the person that I was just uh, spending a couple days with at this conference, a guy by the name of Chris Duran, D-O-R-A-N, and we'll put this in the episode description. Chris Duran has a book called Hope in the Age of Climate Change, where he really wrestles with all of these complex ethical questions. So I highly recommend that. He's a very, very thoughtful and uh, I think very wise theologian. And then also, you know, to end on a, a little bit of a positive note, I hope, you know, to go back to the way that the first chapter of Genesis, the first creation story, describes all of the things that God makes. And there's this like repetitiveness that happens in Hebrew, uh, where you have um, creeping things that creep and flying things that fly. Um, and the sort of I don't know, liveliness of it all in the way that Genesis describes it and that God is telling everything like be fruitful and multiply. So there's just this like vibrancy and, and life and, you know, I, again, I just love creeping things that creep and that that is, you know, presented as this is this is how God wants creation to be and that there is like a lot of joy in that, which I think is a, a pretty beautiful thing. It really is. And like you said, be, be fruitful and multiply. Like it's just, you know, continue on, keep growing. And I think that's not necessarily, it doesn't have to mean like population wise, like you can be fruitful and multiply the good things in the world. Yeah. Very well said, Jenny. Well, very well said, Josh. I think that's a, that's a really lovely note to, uh, to go out on today. As always, thanks for listening. If you have an idea for an episode or a question, please let us know, and we'll be back with you soon. Thanks for listening to Irreverent Bible Talk. 
You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts or find us at soundcloud.com slash irreverentbible. And remember, just like Balaam and his donkey learned, sometimes even God communicates through a talking ass.